did I miss the boat? Am I too late to enter? Definitely not. Hop on the train now. Welcome to Roof Talks, spirited conversation at the intersection of community, technology and shared living. I'm Michael and today we are talking about how the future of co-living is going to look like with Hazik Memon. Hazik is co-founder of Co-Living Hub and the co-living brand Swiss Escape and Greek Escape. And today will share with us his learnings about leading in the industry since 2017. Together we'll be covering topics like what are the current trends in the industry you need to pay attention to, how is co-living going to look like tomorrow and how you as an operator can get ready for it. Very warm welcome to Roof Talks for our new episode and I have today with me Hazik Memon and he is the co-founder of Co-Living Hub which is one of the leading associations for co-living professionals and at the same time he is also co-founder of Swiss Escape which is one of the first co-living operators in Switzerland. Welcome Hass, thanks for being here. Hey Michael, thanks for having me here, I'm really excited to talk to you today. Cool. Yeah, same here, same here. So um, first of all, before we dive into all the different topics that we prepared today, there's a small little tradition that we have here at Roof Talks. And that tradition is that I'm always asking you for your most memorable drink that you have ever had. What is it in your case? Oh, in my case, the drink is cachaça, which I have right here with me. Uh, and this drink, it comes actually uh, from, from Brazil. Uh, uh -huh. Do you want to know a little story about it? Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure, <laughs> sure. If there is one, right? Like, so then. Yeah, I mean, it kind of goes into what we're going to be talking today as well. But um, basically, this was a trip I made to Brazil um, when I was in the corporate travel world. And uh, immediately, as soon as I landed in Brazil, the first meeting I had um, I was offered a cachaça, which for me was not a drink you have at a meeting, correct? Um, yeah, no. And for me, that immediately made me understand that this is their culture. Um, and for me, then I kind of interpreted the culture in a way that everything is almost like a cachaça. It feels like it's really nice and smooth and easy to drink. Um, and then so later on, you get the sort of the hard hitting things. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, like you know, that. and that's what, that's what <laughs> I learned from my trip that, that whenever you're working with different cultures and uh, when you're doing business with different cultures, you have to think and work locally. So that, that's, uh, that's why I have this drink with me today. True. And I also have the same drink. So I would cheer to your experience and let's Cheers. taste it. Right? Cheers. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, so if you have a meeting in the morning, I think like that really gets you going, right? Like so. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Never again miss an episode of Roof Talks. Subscribe now at obeyocom rooftalks and receive every new episode right into your inbox. Also, we'll be raffling away prices among all our subscribers. Listen until the very end of this episode to find out what we are raffling away this time. Okay, um, today we're going, we're going to talk about different things that are happening actually in, in the industry, right? Like, so because I said already as co-founder um, of Co-Living Hub, you, you really have that global perspective. And um, so like today there are three main topics that we would like to go through. Like, first of all, looking at what is happening in the industry today, like what are the trends that are shaping co-living um, today? And then moving more into like how co-living is going to look like 
tomorrow, like in the future. And then finally, really talking about what can operators do today to be ready for that future. Uh, but before going there, I would really would like to ask you to just share how, how, how it all started with you and co-living. Yeah, for, for me, it goes back uh, almost six years now. And um, it, it started with, with just a basic need of me personally being in corporate travel. I was a business traveler, uh, moving to different places, staying in hotels all the time. Um, and I realized staying in hotels, I was not able to know who my neighbor was. Uh, I was not able to talk to anyone uh, except the reception person who was also just there to give me the keys, technically speaking. Um, and soon I, I realized that uh, there is a need for, for some sort of a community feeling in spaces like that, especially when you are new to the town, new to the city, you want that easy way in. Um, and through that uh, experience of traveling as a business traveler, I, I learned that I would want to stay longer in one place uh, than a short term, three days, one week uh, business travel trip. Um, and that's where the whole idea came about that, hey, we want to start a co-living space. And the, the term co-living itself was was at an infancy it didn't really exist there was no wikipedia page even on it right so <laughs> it was just yeah. like us using this word um and then it, it really uh, started with let's give it a shot see if it works if people understand what it is and uh, i think we just started with one property uh, one small property and it turned into something permanent now that we've been running for six years yeah and the location you guys have is is outstanding huh? so uh yeah are you are you there right now or i'm in one of the locations so i'm not in switzerland yeah. we just opened our second location which is in greece so i am oh, in the greek cool. greece location at the yeah. moment yeah and the, the the greek also have the tradition of different drinks during meetings huh? as far as i know i think there uh, seems that is a little bit like kind of the topic of uh, a lot of uh, conversations in a way. yeah i mean i think somehow uh, like that's that's the way to do meetings in these kind of countries right you need that drink in your hand yeah, absolutely. Um, so because you're talking about Greece and uh, so about co-living, so I'm, I'm always also thinking about like what are the current happenings that like you think are shaping the co-living industry currently? Like are there any things that, that come to your mind? I think there's so many things happening in the co-living world. Uh, two that stand out for me, one is the, on the technology side. Um, we are seeing a lot more um, technology solutions that are enabling um, uh, co-living spaces to run more efficiently. Um, it's still at an infancy, I would say. There's still so much work to be done there. But um, on the other hand, there's also this. Uh, the recent developments are some of niche co-livings that have started popping up. So co-living specifically for single moms, co-living specifically for artists. Uh, I think these niche co-livings are starting to kind of create its own little market. And I think that we'll see all sort of these community subgroups uh, in the future too. Mm. 
And you, you guys, like, what is the subgroup that you are actually focusing on when the Swiss escape? So for us, uh, the subgroup, I mean, again, taking it from business travel, I always wanted to sort of uh, reshape the travel industry in that sense. Uh, so we are focusing on remote workers um, that are traveling uh, and staying in different places. And that for us is an um, easy way to also uh, fill up the properties in in low season which normally is not touristic season right um and that kind of is um is the strategy there yeah great and and how did you then decide to move it up a level and kind of you know like like start out with an industry association that really helps rally the field together like how, how did that happen well, well when i started um my own co-living space we were barely six operators in Europe. Um, so it was nothing. Uh, and the more I wanted to learn, the more I realized there's who, who do I learn from? Like, you know, what mistakes am I making? Um, so that's when I got together with few other operators from, from North America and Europe as well. And we said, Hey, we're all facing same challenges. Uh, why don't we help each other out? Why don't we have a roundtable discussions? Um, so we were a few operators that went on a retreat in a co-living space. Um, and then we that, that's where Co-Living Hub was born, the association, because it was from personal need that we wanted to learn, share knowledge and uh, um, share our challenges as well. Mm. And help help each other grow to a certain extent, right? Like exactly. so, and learn from from each other. Yeah, yeah, makes a lot of sense. I mean, particularly, and this is also what what I like about co living as an industry, right? Like, it's about collaboration. It's about like making things happen together. So, I think it's very very natural to like establish the kind of uh, organizations that bring people together, also professionally. Yeah, and in, in a way, it's, it's also something um, that I personally value a lot is giving back. Um, and that's a way for me to, hey, I am trying to shape the future of work here and future of living here. Um, how can I also give back uh, to the community and to the industry? And that association is one of the way for me to feel also that I'm doing some good in this world. Mm -hmm. And did you, did you, when you started out, because you mentioned that there are only like six operators by that time, right? Like, so where did you get your, your inspiration and your help from early on? I think it was just a lot of talk. So it was, uh, I was, uh, I was getting inspiration from hospitality industry a little bit. Um, because there is some sort of a bridge there, uh, that we still have some things in common with the hospitality industry. And another hand, I was learning from co-working spaces. Um, and then, you know, just adding things on top and, and seeing if it works or not. It was, it was a trial and error, to be honest, at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Le learning by doing, measuring what works, and then uh, doing more of that, right? Like exactly. so. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Um, let's just take a step back, right? Like so. Say I am now listening to this. I am a real estate developer. I am not too familiar with co-living at all, but I know that there is a lot happening because I hear about it more and more. So I, I got curious. Like, what would you tell me? Why should I, as a developer, as a real estate person, actually care about co-living? Yeah, as someone who's involved uh, as an investor, a real estate developer, I think it's it's the re the main reason is that this is the future of living. This is what the next generation is looking for, 
and we're more moving more towards shared economy systems and co-living enables that system of living. So I think as an operator, as a real estate developer, everyone needs to think of it. What is it in it? What, what is in it for me? Um, as, as somewhere I want to put my money in, right? Uh, for the future. Yeah, 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 because you 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 saying this is the future of living, so you 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 really see that this is going to be the way that young people, old people, families, everybody wants to live, or like how how do you look at that? I definitely think this will be the new normal. I don't. I'm not saying that it's going to be everyone living like that, but I just think it's it's going to be so normal that you wouldn't think twice, right? It's just like how you would choose a hotel or a hostel or an Airbnb for that matter to stay at, you would also think of co-living. Mm, okay. And you, you think that even because you, you have been talking a lot about like corporate travel and, and your experience there, do you think that even for corporate travel, for example, there would be an option for you to like just stay in the co-living space for a couple of days instead of a hotel or an Airbnb? Or like how, how do you see it? A corporate I, travel and, and co-living go to. I think in, in that sense, corporate travel itself needs to shift and change a little bit. Um, and that industry is now moving towards having sort of this longer trips than shorter trips uh, to reduce the carbon footprint. Because in co-living, um, I think most co-livings, even the short-term co-livings, still do minimum one-week stays. Um, and then, and that's very crucial if you want to be included in a community because otherwise it might still feel like a hotel if you just go into a co-living for a day, right? Um, so I think it's just that industry needs, to, all the industries I think need to shape towards this um, sustainable travel and sustainable living. Yeah, which of course also impacts the the, the the remote working for example right like so which is also a direction of like where you see probably co-living being very strong and providing a home to somebody who is like just going to live in a different country for some time and uh, and still work remotely right like so uh, and that, and that's also a trend that actually supports the direction of, of co-living of course yeah i mean that's exactly uh, it right because co-living in the end like you said co-living becomes the ho home and people become your family right and that's that's the feeling that everyone wants when they enter a co-living uh, space and i think uh, no matter who it is whether it's a business traveler a remote worker an expat uh, a student um, they all want that from a co-living space yeah yeah, 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 makes sense. Uh, let's look at what else is happening in the industry, right? Like, so we see a lot of mergers, we see acquisitions, we see, you know, like uh, big things happening, actually. So, like, like, can you give us some context? Like, what do we see playing out? We see a lot of growth in North America in terms of mergers and acquisitions. I think there's a lot of consolidation uh, in North America, uh, whereas in Europe, there's a lot more operators. So in, in North America, uh, currently there are about 110 operators. Um, and versus Europe, it's 250 operators. So the difference here is that um, the European operators are not as big as North American operators. Um, and that's why you see the, that whole mergers and acquisitions happening more towards uh, the North American side. 
because you say that there are less operators and they are bigger, so that is why they they naturally like look for a way to to scale faster, and that way is actually well in acquisitions partly right like yeah. so because it makes it yes. a, a faster track there yeah okay is is that something that you foresee well coming to europe too or do you think like here in europe it's more than than like the smaller operators are just you know kind of staying at a certain size and then just being happy and not really eager to become that kind of dominating brand i think in europe the challenge and the beauty of it is there's different cultures. And like I started with my drink, uh, talking about yeah. culture, um, you cannot yeah. just be a global player, come into Europe and be like, this is the type of living that's going to be across the entire Europe, right? You have to kind of understand the cultures and then adapt to it accordingly. You might design a space in Spain, which has much more outdoor area because they are very used to bigger patios and bigger terraces because they spend time in the sun. Whereas in Netherlands, it might be more cozy. You have to make indoors more cozy, so more spacious, more common areas. So you have to address each country differently rather than just putting building blocks in every country and um, think that it will work uh, the way it would yeah, yeah. work in the US, right? And I think yeah. that would be so, the biggest challenge here. Yeah, so so it's really about understanding the the local cultures and the local way of 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 living or co-living, right? Like so, mm -hmm. um, that that is really interesting that you mentioned that, right? Like so, because I see that you said you started out in Switzerland. Now you are also in Greece, mm -hmm. right? Like so, well, how how did that happen? Oh, for, <laughs> well, it's 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 funny because from Switzerland. It, has this reputation of everything works really well. Everything's very <laughs> systematic. Uh, there are rules and structures in place for you to uh, make a, a very efficient system uh, in that sense. Um, and Greece is very different. It, here it's a lot of pay, patience and, and uh, a lot of talking and a lot of uh, drinking in that sense, right? <laughs> uh, to get things yeah. done. Um, but for me, the... What attracted me to Greece specifically is that one, it's very unique and untapped. There, again, we are one of the first co-living spaces in uh, Greece. And I'm surprised to say that after co-living being so prominent over the last years. Um, so I, I'm very surprised to still say that. Uh, but, I, and that's one reason why I thought it's an untapped market and let's give it a shot. Yeah, seems like you're really attracted to that like uh, first mover challenge of really bringing the concept into different countries. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's exciting because uh, you make a, a country uh, popular for something it's not known for, right? Because Greece is, is known for its beaches and for holidaying, but it's not known for a place to go work from. So um, I think that's an um, interesting way for me to kind of uh, work as well. Yeah. What were the, the the metrics that you looked at when making a decision if you if you really want to move to Greece or not, or did you just go with your gut feeling in a way? You said, okay, well, hey, there's nobody else, so why not? You know, for me, uh, there's definitely certain KPIs that I have um, for all the locations that I also hope to open in the future is uh, infrastructure, accessibility, um, internet, uh, community, hospitality, um, business transactions, uh, legal systems. 
there there's a huge list of criteria that I have to tick before I decide that this location is the one to go to. Yeah. Yeah, and and this is what you're looking at on a country by country level or city by city level even, right? Like yes. so Exactly. Yeah. A country and city as well, because it could differ from city to city. Yeah, true. Yeah, yeah, true. Uh, so what would you recommend to somebody who is thinking about like opening up a new location out of the country where they are currently? What what are kind of the the challenges that that they need to keep in mind? I think the challenges are only learned by either working with some locals or either experiencing it yourself. Um, so I was lucky enough to have both, um, that I have local uh, that I work with, but at the same time, I had the pleasure to live in Greece myself, uh, last year, um, to actually test all the, the facts that I have, the questions that I have, right? Because I can make someone else, uh, clients come here and stay. Um, but if they say that, uh, this is not working. That's not working. I, I'm not sure about it if I'm not there. And how do you resolve certain issues like that as well? So, um, for me, it was just, uh, testing that personally and then, uh, allowing it to, to grow and easily implement as well. And then coming. Yeah. So ideally, I mean, if, if I'm thinking about opening a new location, say in Sweden, for example, what you would recommend is, okay, hey, Michael, like go there for some time to really get to know also the culture and see if, if the concept that you have in mind is actually fit for how people are, are, are living there. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and that's one thing that when we work with uh, other partners uh, in different countries who want to open co-living spaces, um, that's the first question I always ask. Are you a local or do you know someone who's local? Um, so it, otherwise, it's really hard to work in the country. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, in particular, also with the languages and and the culture and the background and and the legal system, right? Like yeah, so, I mean, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, what do you then think, like collectively, right? Looking looking at the industry as such, like what do you see as the biggest challenges today for for the co living industry? I think, of course, uh, the the challenge which everyone's facing right now is is going through the pandemic and how do you. Uh, sustain yourself uh, from it but at the same time with that comes the question of the market that you're targeting if you're targeting market that are internationals uh, you might need to have some backup plans in cases like pandemic or in cases like border closures and things like that i think that's the challenge of today specifically but the challenge of tomorrow would be how can you broaden your market and how can you make your place unique enough? Um, because we will see soon enough that all co-livings would have similar structures. Everyone would have co-working areas. Everyone would have laundry rooms. Everyone would have uh, shared uh, kitchens. It would be a very systematic um, sort of arrangement for different co-living spaces. And how do you make yourself unique in terms of space, in terms of community, um, would be the, the biggest challenge, I think, for co-living operators in the future. Yeah. And how, how do you do that? Like, how do you really make sure that you are unique with what you have to offer? I think it's one thing is being an early adapter is first. Like, don't wait for others to do it. Go, go in first. 
because I think that's that's what will make it memorable for for people. Um, listen to your community. It's the biggest part. Um, one story which I can share here is that um, there's one co-living operator that had um, an uh, an harassment issue um, back like last year actually. And because the operator was not able to listen to the community, um, the operator really lost most clients. And now uh, women don't want to stay in that. Um, so it's, that it's really so. it's really about listening and, and, and actually also being, you know, authentic in what you offer. Right. Like, so this is also what you say. Exactly. Being authentic, being transparent, uh, making sure that you're listening to your community and providing for the community. Because in the end, uh, I think um, community-centric marketing would be the future as well. That uh, that everything that happens has to be verified by someone who stayed there, right? Um, and that might be something that uh, operators overlook. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and everything needs to be verified. You, you're talking about like, for example, referrals. You're talking about like testimonials. You're talking about ideally just turning your own members into your ambassadors, right? Like, so this is, and, and this is what you have in mind. Yeah, yeah. And how how do you accomplish that with with your spaces? Do you have any tips for for other operators that are just starting out or perhaps are struggling with like how they can how how, how they can achieve this? I think having some sort of a personal touch, we've talked already about community managers being in place in, in, in spaces, adds a personal touch. There's a human centric part to it that uh, there's someone who cares for you, who listens to you. At the same time, being very fast at responding because there is a lot of bureaucracy in some operations that it has to go through certain levels and levels and levels. Um, and in the end, a, s a small pipe leak could take a week to fix. And that makes the, uh, the, um, the tenant or the resident really unhappy, right? So how quick are you at responding to these things? And at the same time, I think being down to earth and personal for, for me, it's sometimes if I go in to meet the clients, they're very happy to see the founder come in to the space. Um, and I think just having that reassurance that these people care or the founders, the operators, the management cares um, is, is how you make the community sort of believe in you and also become an ambassador. Yeah. I, I can I can see that happening, right? Like so because it, it is about that trust that you establish, right? Like and trust also takes time and like getting to know people also takes time. So I'm I'm just wondering in terms of metrics, right? Like so because in the end you're running a business, right? Like so and the, the core of that business is actually the community if you want in the end, right? Like so because this is like the social the social network that you're providing. So like like what are the metrics that you think are most relevant to measure and and uh, keep keep an eye on when it comes to community and community health for me uh, one of the biggest uh, metric is retention rates um like how much of your community stays with you for as long as possible uh, without leaving uh, so you need to look at your retention rates definitely uh, that's the first thing um and the second thing is um, one one um, 
metric which I really like to measure is what are some initiatives that the community is creating themselves. Um, because these initiatives makes you understand how involved uh, that person really is within the community. So these are, let's say, for my, uh, two of uh, my main metrics to look at. Um, and one, one thing to just also note is no, you, one thing people also do is they, they work too much on onboarding process, but they forget the offboarding process. And that can really hurt. Uh, your retention rates, right? Like when someone leaves, don't just be like, hey, pay me this amount and you're gone. No, how do we keep a community even after they're gone? You create an alumni network of some sort. You make sure the the um, the resident or the tenant is still engaged within the community because they might come back. And that they do. We, we at least in, in Swiss Escape, we have 70% retention rate. And that is, I think, mainly due to that reason. Yeah, because you care and you show you care and you, you involve people after they are gone mm -hmm. and they are coming back. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and of course, they also have a network, right? Like, so in the moment that, that they have a positive experience, they, they talk to their friends about it. And next time uh, you know it, like you are full, right? Like, so it's a. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a lot of they love. create those bonds and they want to be back. It's, if their friend is staying in that co living space, they would go there for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the future of co-living, right? Like you already said that you, you see the future as being like, well, co-living is the way to live in a way, right? Like so in the, in the, in the future of living. Um, how do you see the future actually happening in the different parts of the world in terms of co-living? I think one future which is already shaping, which is specifically in Asia, is tech being the center of how co-living operations are built um, and that really helps with efficiency um, on one hand and on second hand it's something that the new generation is really um, appreciative of they want that sort of a service that why do i have to write so many emails why do i have to um, create uh, have a have a physical key or why do i have to uh order something which is through a phone call you know um i think adding a lot of different systems in place there's a huge uh, boom in the tech part of co-living in asia at the same time there's also this idea of biophilic design which has picked up a lot in co-living where you're trying to design spaces which invite um, nature inside your house, whether it's using floor to ceiling uh, setups or uh, whether it's uh, open floor plans, um, it's different sort of design structures, I think are also going to be definitely the future of what co-living is. Um, and lastly, I think this idea of niche co-livings would be more, it, it will grow even more. I think then when you go into a town, you might be like, hey, I want to uh, I, I feel like living with um, software engineers today or I feel like living with uh, a family today or I feel like living with this kind of community today. So um, I think that choices will also start to come up. And I think that's that's really good, to be honest, because it's what will make you unique in the future. Yeah. So it's really about creating or finding your niche and then really creating that community of the people that you care about the most right like to be 
to be distinctive and competitive in the market. Yes, yes, definitely. And do you see that trend playing out actually like like across the globe, or do do you think that there are some some areas of the world where, um, say, like like the growth is going to be faster, like others are going to slow down a little bit? Like, how how do you look at co living five years from today? Co-living right now itself is an $8 billion industry. But in the future, we'll see that right now we are very much a fraction of what a real estate industry is. And we will see that close to third, at least in the next 10, 20 years. Um, however, I think in Asia at the moment, the co-living is very much focused on residential parts. Uh, whereas in Europe, you still have a lot of diversification. On one hand side, we have the residential co-living and on another side, we have these destination co-living spaces, which are focused on, on remote workers. So I think the trend is when will Asian partners start to grow into this, um, destination co-livings? And also when will North American partners go in, grow into this? Because right now we're seeing Europe being one of the main places where these destination co-living spaces are popular yeah. compared to the rest of the world yeah yeah interesting and, and when do you think is that going to happen in asia or north america and the destination co-living becomes the thing i think in asia it needs to be a governmental push because in europe and and some of the south american places have uh, governmental um, policies that are being developed at the moment. Uh, I'm personally myself working with a few of the governmental institutions. And that change needs to come from there. Um, that Because in Asia specifically, it's very much uh, about cities. Uh, rural areas are not developed enough to sustain sort of this destination co-living concept. And I think a governmental push will really help build an infrastructure um, to the point where, where you could have these type of co-livings. Um, yeah. yeah. Now, now, I mean, when you say governmental push needs to happen, right? Like, so I think it's, it's a very, very challenging thing probably to accomplish. Um, if even there's somebody who's like really in a situation now, like in the country where they say, Hey, yeah, well, like I would love to have different kinds of regulations from, from my government. Like how did you guys actually manage to establish that relationship and then to really make and effect change in the legislation with the government in, in, in Switzerland or Greece? I think it's very much a collaborative effort. You cannot do it alone. Um, to be honest. So you have to be first present in all the different discussions that are happening around real estate industry. Um, so we have participated in a lot of conferences around the real estate industry in Switzerland and now in Greece that uh, help uh, people listen what's happening and what is the future there. Uh, second, being present in the in the newspaper, so PR is really important, and that's that's when also the government listens because then the the, the people also listen, right? This is this is a new concept, and I would like to do that. Um, so, and then finally, working with a group of people who are involved in the co-living sector, and then uh, reaching out to the government is the the best way forward. So I think if you take these three steps, it's already something uh, to to 
talk about at least at least for the government to start talking about it even if it's not already a policy change yeah yeah and this is of course also something where organizations like go living hub can help right like so uh, because that that leads to the last part of the conversation like how can we all get ready for the future that, that you just outlined like um, and and what can organizations like co-living hub do to help yeah i mean that's exactly why i created this association is because you need to educate yourself you need to educate yourself and not only what's happening in your surroundings but what is happening around the world and knowing what's happening around the world and how they did it is going to help you apply to your own co-living space, your own region and your own country. Um, and with Co-Living Hub, we, we do these um, events. We do several different types of events, one which is happening very soon. Um, these events main focus is always that the operator or, or the user is able to take something away that they can apply directly to their own business and to their own calling uh, space. Um, so I would say be involved. Definitely. That's the, that's the first step if you want to um, grow into uh, this industry. Yeah. And, and you also mentioned, um, that there are exciting happenings and, and developments actually within like, uh, co-living hub, like an Asian chapter is coming up. That's, that's what you said. Yes. Can you share a little bit more about like what this is all about? Yes. Uh, I, I can definitely give you a little bit of uh, information on that. So um, because we've realized that Asia is becoming the next uh, big industry in co-living and their needs are very different from what the uh, Western world is looking at and their challenges are very different than what uh, Western world is facing as well. Um, and therefore, we are now launching uh, Co-Living Hub Asia, uh, which will be its own chapter where we have a separate team uh, talking uh, to Asian partners and to understand what is happening in the industry there. How is how can they move forward? What are some of the challenges they have? Uh, I think it's a whole a whole new world uh, on its own uh, when it comes to Asia as well. So we're definitely launching uh, the Co-Living of Asia uh, next week almost. <laughs> so uh, so on the 13th and 14th of November, we have our Co-Living Conference, um, which will be attended also by our Asian and North American partners. Um, but that will be sort of the first instant where we will re release uh, the Co-Living of Asia uh, news. Yeah, exciting, eh? because it comes back to like understanding the the cultures and understanding like the regions better, right? Like, so I can really see how that is the topic that drives your interest and, and your activity to really like help facilitate local groups and local action. And that's great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, work globally, think locally, right? Uh, that's, yeah. uh, that's the way you move forward. That's the way you grow and scale your business as well. Yeah. Yeah. True. So let's take that back now to um, the, the the real estate developer or investor that we talked about before and that is thinking about moving into co-living, right? Like, so with all the exciting developments uh, that, that you mentioned, did I miss the boat? Am I too late to enter? Definitely not. I think um, it's less than, uh, co-living is right now less than 5% of uh, the real estate market. So I think there is still a huge window of opportunity 
for anyone who wants to enter. Um, and there's huge market as well. It's, it's not that you're, you're lacking behind on, on the student, uh, co-living, uh, accommodation or you're lacking behind on remote workers or, or expats. I think there's room everywhere and there's room in every region as well. So I would say hop on the train now. Definitely. Yeah. And there's also room to innovate, right? Like, so, I mean, like, like, uh, and there are concepts coming up, the mix between co-living and BTR, for example, right? Like there are concepts, like you said, like the different co-living niches for families, for seniors. Um, and I, I mean, like, I, I think it's very, very exciting what is happening in the market. And I can see that this excitement also uh, sparkles in new eyes. So um, it's a very good time to, to be involved, I think. Yeah, for me, these niches are so exciting. Whenever I hear, I, I heard one in L.A., which was actually helping, cooling was helping homeless people get off the streets, learn something new um, and actually not be homeless anymore and and if co-living can enable that i think that's a huge huge opportunity and a huge uh, impact that uh, the industries yeah. as well creating yeah and it becomes bigger than just providing a home right it becomes bigger than just a place to live um, yeah and i think this is this is the big chance that we are all working towards too yes yes yeah. definitely. okay i'm um, well, like just to wrap this up, right? Like, so what, what, what do you think are the biggest needs for co-living operators in the years to come, right? Like, so what, what are the biggest challenges also in the years to come? I think the, the biggest needs and challenges would be one on the technology side of things, which I already mentioned is how can technology em enable communities? Uh, we, we want to move away from the PMS systems that uh, traditionally is used by, by the hospitali hospitality industry and move into how can not only the operators, but also the community engage with technology in a way that is, uh, is uh, that creates some sort of a synergy between the two. Um, so there's definitely that need for technology moving forward. On the other hand, being unique again i think this is one thing we should not forget we don't want to be just another hotel that everyone goes in and be like oh yeah there's a reception oh yeah i have a room and i have a key um just differentiate do something unique you know go and welcome the person who arrived at the airport and give them a a, a kasasha for for that uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah just give them the drink and you know that will be a memory that will they, that will last for a lifetime so um, yeah, true. So starting with these sort of ideas would yeah. and differentiating yourself would be the way to move forward for sure. And it's really interesting because differentiation sometimes also just works by very small and little things, right? Like so sometimes people think they need to like be different all over the place, but if you create a couple of outstanding experiences, outstanding moments that people will remember, then this could be enough perhaps already to be different and and to get that kind of you know, positive uh, referrals going that you were talking about before. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think it's it's creating those moments. Again, life is all about moments and co-living is the life that people want to live, right? So creating those moments are truly important. Great. Well, um, I do thank you very much for sharing all your, your insights and experiences with us. And um, we have another small tradition, which is always raffling away something to our listeners. And um, you brought something very cool with you. 
Yes. Yeah. Yes. Should I say it, or do you want to do it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> of course. No, you, you, you can, you can do it. Like, what are we raffling away? Okay, so today we are raffling our co-living hub membership for one year. Um, it, it, it's a validity of one year, and you can definitely learn from other operators exactly what we're talking about. Get involved today, uh, and this is this is our gift to you um, to start your journey now. Perfect. Then, has, thank you so much once again for for taking the time for being with us. Um, I hope you you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. I certainly also enjoyed that drink, um, and I'm looking forward to seeing you on the conference, of course. Huh? Yes, absolutely. Thank you, Michael, for the invite again, and uh, cheers. Cheers. Uh. <laughs> Have a good day and stay tuned for next time when we'll be speaking with Javier Caro co-living director at CBRE about the co-living trends in one of the hottest co-living markets right now, Spain.